Hey everyone, welcome to Midweek at the Compass. My name is Jake, I'm our online pastor, and as always, really glad that you've taken a few moments to join us today. We're in the middle of our sermon series right now called Who Do You Think You Are? And I feel like I've mastered that in my dad voice at this point by how many times I've had to say that. But ultimately, we're looking at these core identities of who we are in Christ and why it's so important to know those. You know, we've gone through the first three weeks of this series and now we've just passed week four. And we spent some time in 1 Peter chapter 2 over the course of this weekend. Now, if you've been around the Compass Church for a while, you're going to recognize kind of two of the main tenets that we were talking about. They're two of our four priorities, or these things that we would say that each and every person should be doing in order to grow in their faith in Jesus. We talked a lot about one end of it, but I want to focus on the first of them today, which is pursue him daily. Quite frankly, we think every single person needs to be spending time in Bible study and prayer each and every day. It's critical to our faith journeys to be able to know more of God and to be more like Jesus each and every day. That's our hope and our prayer. And to have more conversations about what it looks like to pursue him daily, specifically through the lens of Bible study, I'm excited to be joined by Peter Williams. So Peter, thank you for taking the time to do this. It's great to be with you. So I'm wondering, so I don't butcher it, could you just tell everybody a little bit of who you are? Because I remember you mostly from being with us about two summers ago um, for our Summer at the Compass series, but give everybody a little bit of a backdrop of who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm uh, the principal and CEO of Tinder House in Cambridge, England, which is a Bible research centre, an international one that people come from around the world in order to study the Bible at the very highest level and then go back and equip uh, the church. And we have Britain's best library of the Bible, and we're combining library and study and mission. Okay. So how long have you been doing that with Tyndale House? About 15 years. Very nice. I'm sure you've got a lot of stories that you can Mm -hmm. share from that end, but maybe before we get to that, I'm just wondering from a high level, could you talk to us about scripture. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important to be reading scripture each and every day? Well, it says in Deuteronomy, and it's something that um, Jesus quotes uh, when he's tempted by Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, just think about that every. What it's saying is whatever God said, we need to be obsessed by and is more important than physical food. This is what Jesus quoted after he'd been fasting 40 days. Uh, that actually it's more important to think about what God says even than to have your next meal. And that that's basic. Human, the human duty is not to be successful, mm. it's to be faithful. Um, so our job is to listen to what God has to say and do it, uh, to heed his word. So that's our primary duty. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you know, Over the course of the last several years, I know you've written a book, and we'll talk Mm. about the book in a moment. Uh, But a lot of times I feel like people, when they want to start reading the Bible or studying the Bible, or maybe it's not quite the habit they want it to be, it feels daunting. Mm -hmm. Either they don't know where to start, or they just don't know what they're reading or how to break it down into usable context. I wonder if you could give maybe some tips, ideas, tricks, um, something maybe tangible uh, that people could start to look towards as they're developing this habit. Yeah, so I'd say firstly, um, expect it to be hard. Uh, you know, all sorts of good things are hard, like losing weight, hard, and and and, and so on. Um, so 
uh, not all Bible study is easy. I mean, look at the book of Ezekiel, and yeah, it's tough, and it's it's meant to be tough. But there are bits that are easier to start with, places like John's Gospel, and it's also easier to start in fellowship with other people. So mm. reading alongside others, often in a small group, can be a really good way to get going. Then I think uh, a good thing to do is to read the whole Bible through. Yeah. It's only about 75 hours long in an audio version, so it's not that long. Harry Potter books are 135 hours. So just to give you a sense of length, it's not that long. Half the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but then you have the fact that there are all sorts of different sorts of thing in the Bible. Some things are narrative, some things are proverbs and so on. And if you're just doing a straight read through, when you get to proverbs, where every single one of those sentences is something like you can mull over all day then you're going to have such a richness of food that if you just read three chapters of Proverbs, you're not going to take it in. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that first time through, right. but then you've got to switch it around. You've got to vary things. So that's where you might want to say, OK, so the next time through, I'm going to take one proverb a day and I'm going to um, do some of the history books, maybe a big sweep, 10 chapters at a time on a Sunday afternoon or something like that. There are different ways of doing it. Um, Americans spend large amounts of time in their car. Well, you know, think about that. If you just have audio Bible for just some of the time you're in your car, you can get through a lot. Um, if you struggle to sleep, I play audio Bible. You know, uh, <laughs> you know no, seriously, I mean, like, you, you, if, if you stay awake, you, you win. And if you fall asleep, you win, you know. So um, I, I think there are all sorts of options that, that people, people can have, obviously, you know, get your spouse's approval or use headphones or whatever it is. But, you know, there, there, there are... Things that we can do, and part of it is just um, varying, um, use different translations, and um, one thing you do, get journaling Bibles, so that that take out the verse numbers and the paragraphs, get your highlighter pens, you go through one year, you might read a chronological Bible, another year, something else. I would say it's not a bad thing to read the Bible every year as a discipline. I'm not saying as a rule, like, you know, this is what you have to do. I'm just saying it's, it's a good thing to do, and you can do it on, you know, 15 minutes a day. I mean, you really can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and you might do more at weekends and less during the, a busy working week. You, you just find what works for you the best time of day. But then there's, it's not just about reading it, it's about meditating on it. So this mm. is what you have in Psalm 1, where the man of God um, meditates on God's word day and night. Right. Well, how does he meditate on God's word at night? Uh, not because he's got a lamp but because he's memorized it during the day. So meditating then is thinking over it. So you get some just short sentences. You think over this phrase, maybe from the epistles or the Psalms again and again. I think, what on earth does that mean? What's it mean for me? And I think that's a really good discipline. Yeah, and one that's personally worked for me from that regard is just kind of trying to do Lectio Divina exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, just what is this passage saying, and then what is it saying to me, and then what's some tangible action mm-hmm. steps that I can take? Yeah. Uh, that's been a habit that's been incredibly impactful in my life, especially over the last year and a half or so. Um, faith tradition that I grew up in, it wasn't anything that was ever talked about. So I remember the first time I even heard the term, I was clueless. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been something where it's been very helpful one, it causes you to memorize scripture mm-hmm. a lot more yep. than I think most people would anticipate. Absolutely. Um, and once you start to memorize scripture, you can start to unpack it a little bit further. Yeah. Um, 
So I want to backtrack to a couple of different things you said mm. during that last answer, um, where if people wanted to start with something maybe a little bit easier, they would mm. start with the Gospel of John as, yeah, a, sure. as a possibility. Um, so you actually wrote a book called Can We Trust the Gospels? Uh-huh. Um, I loved that, first and foremost. So one, thank you for writing uh-huh. it. Um, it's short in some regards, but there are so many footnotes, and you can go down so many different rabbit trails, mm-hmm. and those are the things that are fun for me. Um, but ultimately, what are some of the things that you found as you were writing that book that caused you to be able to say that you know these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can trust what uh-huh. has been written there? Well, I took 20 years to write that book. I was thinking about it for 20 years, and it takes four hours to read. So that's that's the sort of proportion of time. Uh, and it was more that I was stewing over it, and I'd done some drafts, and then it came together in a few months towards the end. But, but effectively, I gave talks, lots and lots of places, and there are all sorts of different angles on it. But really, uh, a, a key aspect is this. We're all wired to work out trustworthiness. We can sometimes get it wrong, but whether it's with food brands, car brands, restaurants, whatever it is, we work out trustworthiness on a daily basis. And you can do that with the Gospels. You can see how there's all sorts of signs, for instance, that the Gospel writers know about the time and place they're writing about. They have all sorts of geographical details, cultural details, which you just couldn't know if you were just making up a story living a long way away. And you can get into the words and you can say, wow, this is really amazing. And this is as much biography we have written about Jesus as we have of the most famous man alive at the time, the Roman emperor. This is a stunning amount of of evidence we've got. And you can analyze it from different angles because you've got different styles in the different gospels and different relationships between the different sayings. And it just all stacks up as something that is trustworthy. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about that. And then you're writing another book. Yeah. I'm wondering, you, I know you're still working on it. And it's an in process, but um, I even just love the title. So I'm just wondering yeah. if you could give a slight tease so, to that. Yeah, so it should be with the publisher in a couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm, I'm lit. I mean, I've written the whole thing. I'm just proofreading it, really. Yeah. Um, uh, called Jesus the Genius. And it's really about how smart Jesus' teaching is. And I'm looking at his longest parable, okay. uh, which is the parable of the two sons or the parable of the prodigal son, and showing how clever it is because it's a, lo- a bit like a Pixar movie. You know, Pixar movies often have stuff for the kids and jokes for the adults. Now, it's not about jokes, right. but he has a mixed audience there of Pharisees and tax collectors um, uh, you know, or, and scribes and sinners. So you've got people who know the Bible really well, like a, a scribe who copies it out right. and a tax collector who really cares more about money than about the Bible, um, and sinners who don't really care much about the Bible at all. (laughs) And what he manages to do is address both groups simultaneously. So there's this wonderful story about how the younger son goes off and he lives in a really wild way and he comes back and he's accepted by his father, but the older brother really resents this. And what's amazing is that Jesus models so much of the story off the very scriptures that the scribes copied out. Hmm. So Do you remember how the most dramatic bit in Jesus' story is when the father runs and embraces and kisses the younger son? If you were going to catch anything on camera, that would be it. That would be the absolute climax. Yeah. Now, if you're a scribe, you're used to copying out the text of the Bible. And you know what all the different phrases are and how they differ from each other. There's only one case in the entire Bible where someone runs and embraces and kisses someone. And it's Genesis chapter 33, verse 4, where the guy who runs and embraces and kisses is Esau 
running and embracing Jacob. Now, remember, Jacob had ripped Esau out of his inheritance. Jacob was expecting to get splatted because Esau had 400 men coming towards him. He was expecting anger. He was expecting everything. And Esau forgave him. Now, how does Jesus's story begin? It begins, there was a man who had two sons. Well, who in the Bible is the most famous person to have two and only two sons? It's Isaac, the father of uh, Esau and Jacob. And guess what? The one of the the younger son goes off into a far country, just like Jacob went off into a far country. Huh. But in Jesus's story, of course, the, the, the son goes off with lots and comes back with nothing. In Genesis, he goes off with nothing and comes back with lots. But what you get is Jesus is um, sh- uh, showing how this all fits together. And there's a place where if you were a scribe, you were trained actually to put dots over the word kiss. It was a special word, okay. a part of the scribal training, and I can show that history. But it's not just that it's the story of Jacob. It's the story of Joseph. Because when the son comes back, he gets given a ring and a robe. Where's the only time that someone gets given a ring and robe suddenly, rags to riches? It's when Joseph comes out of prison before Pharaoh. Right. And in the story, there's a great famine. Well, there's a great famine in the days of... Um, Joseph, but it's not just that. Joseph is the only son that his father thought was dead and is alive again. Yeah? Which is the thing that goes on there. And so you see all of these different things, but it's the Jacob Laban story because um, Jacob worked for his father-in-law, Laban. Seven years, yeah. Yeah, well, um, Well, more than that. Yeah, more than that. It ended up being 20. And then Laban catches up with him and Jacob bursts into anger and says, well, something like, all these years I've been working for you. Yeah, I mean, it's like I've worked for you for 20 years. Uh, and so you get all of these connections, but it's not just that. It, of course, it's the Cain and Abel story, the first um, uh, couple of brothers and the older brother resentful at the younger brother being accepted. Yeah. But it's also the Abraham story. Now, how is it the Abraham story? Yeah, it's like this. Who's the first guy in the Bible to run? Abraham, Genesis 18. Who's the only other guy, old guy in the Bible to run? Oh, Genesis chapter 18. What's the first word from the father's mouth in Jesus's story? It's the word quick. What's the first word from Abraham's mouth when he gets these guests in Genesis 18? It's the word quick. What's he say? Quick, three sears of flour and goes and get the fatted calf. Yeah. Oh, what's the father say? Go and get the fatted calf. Um, so it's all the same uh, thing. And of course, Abraham's this amazing father figure and he's the only other guy in the Bible who gives away his inheritance while he's still alive. He gave all he had while he's alive to Isaac and the others didn't get anything. Now, why didn't his older son, Ishmael, get anything? You know why? There's a time when Abraham put on a feast for his younger son, a feast for his younger son and, uh, and Ishmael laughed. And that's the point where Sarah says he's not going to inherit. So the older brother lost his inheritance through despising the feast for the younger brother. Uh, so anyway, so I'm having fun with it. But the point is... Please keep having fun with it. This yeah, is fascinating. Yeah, so, so Jesus is telling this story, which is just total genius. Yeah. Because anyone who can teach two levels in a group at the same time, that's really smart. But to do this where you're bringing together all of Genesis's greatest hits into one short story that's a two and a half minute long story, that's the thing, to pack all of that. And you don't need to see any of it. It works completely on the surface. If you have no background, you've never read the Bible before, you hear the story, you're amazed. It's a powerful story. Right. And yet if you've been studying the Bible all your life, it's a really powerful story and it's got loads more in. So that's quite cool. So it's called Jesus the Genius. 
that makes a ton of sense, uh, especially with how you just laid all of that out, right? Like, I've been a Christian. I've followed the ways of Jesus since I was five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have heard the prodigal son story or the, the story of the two sons probably more times than I can count. And I have never once mm-hmm. come up with all those tie-ins whatsoever. Uh, that's absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. So Jesus was a genius. I think that's pretty easy to pick up from even just the highlights that yeah. you gave there. So um, I'm really excited for that book to come out yeah. because I feel like the the most densely packed that I've ever read about the prodigal son story uh, was a book from Tim Keller at one point in time. Wonderful book. That's uh, the book I recommend right at the beginning. I say this is an amazing exposition of it, The Prodigal God. It's a yeah, great book. It was fantastic. It, it reshaped how I thought about mm-hmm. the story of the prodigal yeah, son. and. Book. This conversation is going to make me reshape how I've thought about even that end of it. So thank you for doing that. Um, Now, with all of that said, you're really smart um, in the fact that you have studied scripture to where you can compile and write a book over the course of 20 years or however long this newest one has taken. And sometimes that can be intimidating for Mm. me um, or people that are just joining and listening. Um, So I'm wondering what's something recently... Mm. That you've just kind of, as you've been reading and studying scripture, um, that's stuck out to you, that's resonated or spoken to you in in a new and unique way. Yeah, so I want to say that, firstly, just about the whole subject of being smart, which is, you know, uh, you can be smart in one area and not very good in another. I'm terrible at directions, you know, and, uh, whatever it is. So, so it's just important to get that. And the other thing is that really smart people at the time of Jesus missed what he was saying while simple people got it. Yeah. And Jesus spoke in that sort of way. So that's a really uh, key thing. Um, so what I'd say is, as I study the scriptures, I see new things, but also see old things. And just, uh, I think, uh, seeing God's grace afresh, hmm. um, I think, is, is important. You never grow... Um, out of the need you for never that. grow out of need for it um, but you can really grow very forgetful I think we're, we're very as humans we're just very forgetful so I have forgotten God's grace so many times yeah. and you know you get reminded again mm. and, and that's uh, just a really important thing and it needs to happen on a daily basis um, but th- when, when I've had insights fr- from scripture I'd say you know God gives them all uh, but also it's it's about spending a lot of time with the scriptures it's not about being particularly intellectually smart it's about um just spending time thinking about why is that particular word there what's uh jesus saying and i i I think you do see new things in scripture so i want to ask you just a a personal end question Mm. so as you're reading and studying scripture Mm. how many times do you find personal application versus just kind of new thoughts or revised or refreshed thoughts around God's grace? I I think personal application just comes all of the time. Um, And one of the things, I mean, I'm just thinking about this parable I've just been talking about. It it, it shows you God's heart. Hmm. It shows you God's heart orientated towards the outsider, you know, um, and that's a really important challenge because you can get very comfy in church circles and, you know, it's all very warm and cosy. Yeah. And just to see the joy there is over one sinner who repents. And there's a party so, in heaven, right? There's a party <laughs> in heaven. And, and so, again, to be reminded of that, um, struck just with wonder at the cross again and again, the shame of it, the pain of it, 
and that this is at the centre of everything. Um, so I'd say, yeah, the, the you've got to apply the scriptures to you yourself every day. Okay. I was hoping that's where you were going to end on it, but uh, just curious. I've never had a chance to ask a question like that, so thank you. Um, I also want to backtrack a little bit to something you were talking about just even briefly at the very beginning. You were talking about different Bible translations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if you could answer a question of Bible translation for yep. somebody who's just starting to read Scripture yep. and somebody maybe who's been in it for a while um, that's maybe looking to unpack a little bit more. Um, could you make maybe even some yep. recommendations or talk a little bit of high-level differences of what you might see across these translations? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I've got to declare an interest. So I'm on the English Standard Version Committee, so just... Uh, <laughs> I, thank you for that up front. Yeah, yeah so I've just got to... Uh, declare that but um you've got uh what i'd say is you've got some more literal translations around esv is more literal uh than many nasb is on that more literal side niv somewhere in the middle um new living translation trying to use uh easier uh english but what you find is that you there's there's a sort of trade-off you can have something that's easier to understand the first time but it doesn't show you as much the tenth time Interesting. So what I like about literal translations, not necessarily for beginners, but for people who are wanting to go on, is they're more likely to show you the connection between words in different passages. And the Bible's just got loads and loads of connectivity, and I want people to see that. And so I'd say, just like it's worth sometimes taking time to grind your coffee, but it's slower to make, Right. You, but then it's a better product at the end, it's exactly the same with Bible study. Uh, so you can have a Bible translation which gives you understanding very first time. It's never got any words that are difficult and so on. That's that's fine. Um, and that can be how you start off. So I started my kids on a different translation um, from what uh, they use now because I, I think, well, they were, they were kids, you know. Yeah. You, you start them with something easy, new Christians. You, you don't want to overload people with loads of difficult language. But there is something where you want to say, well, look, if you're in the faith for 10, 20 years and you're reading this again and again, don't you sometimes want to ratchet things up, um, try something, even something a bit harder? Now, of course, there are people who've always been reading the same old-fashioned translation for years. Right. They match you may need to get away from that, uh, again, out of the comfort zone to see things in a fresh way, use a different translation. So it's, it's almost like tailor-making uh, what would be the best next step for different people. Yeah. And part of it is just pushing us out of our comfort zones. Yeah. So for the last 10 years or so of my personal Bible quiet time, been reading through ESV mm. um, on a regular basis because uh-huh. so, I like the fact that they use words like propitiation and you uh-huh. don't necessarily uh-huh. see that in a lot of other translations. Yep. And you can use that as a tie of this is only like here and here. Yeah. Um, but it felt like it was getting a little bit stagnant. So yeah. uh, I've been flipping back and forth between that and the CSB personally lately. Yeah, sure. um, and that's been refreshing. It's yeah. kind of yeah, just good. making things come to life in a different way. That, yeah, you see new things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I like to ask just open-ended questions as we mm-hmm. get ready to wrap up. Um, when it comes to Bible study, I just want to give you the floor. When it, you know, any end of it, it could just be, you need to read your Bible. If mm. We can leave it that simple, but um, I just want to give you the chance to kind of give some open thoughts um, from your role, your seat yeah. as a dad, as a historian, as a theologian. Yeah, um, so it's a funny thing. I mean, I'm, I'm a professional Bible scholar that's been doing professional Bible study for three decades, 
But I learn a lot from my house group, my home group and church. Yeah. Uh, where I sit around with people who are not that, they see stuff, they show me stuff. Uh, and so I would say there's an awful lot to studying in a group um, because you just see different sets of eyes, uh, see new things. And I think it's a really exciting thing to do. And, of course, they're looking constantly to apply it to their lives. So that's... Um, what I'd say is one of the, one of the most helpful thing I have found uh, is is to study in a small group with other believers. That's fantastic. Um, I completely agree. Our small group has been a, a, a life source for us in a lot of ways, and we do just intentionally mm-hmm. that go through different studies or just books of the Bible and read through it and mm-hmm. find out what stands out to who and for what reason. And it's opened our eyes to a lot of things that would have never considered before. Um, another fun thing that we've done just from our end is you um, version. We go mm-hmm. through and sure. do like either shared Bible reading plans um, or we follow one another on it, some of our different friends, and you can kind of put in comments. And it's a, a way to where if you can't physically be getting together for any reason, you still have the ability to read scripture together with people. Yeah. Um, it might not be perfect, but it's better than nothing. Absolutely. Um, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Great to be with um, you. I loved having this conversation. Um, I loved just briefly you walking through the story of the prodigal son as much as anything. That was absolutely fascinating for me. Um, but just thank you for your faithfulness and ministry. Um, thank you for the books that you've written. And honestly, for taking the time to come to the Compass Church and just have a conversation with me about Bible study. Um, very, very much appreciated. And I hope it was encouraging for all of you as well, uh, because we don't want this to seem like it's something that you can't do uh, because you can. Uh, That's what I hope more than anything just gets taken away from today is um, each of us have been charged to be reading scripture. We want to be able to study it, to understand it, to meditate on it day and night. So whether that's, you know, starting out by taking just a couple of minutes a day, or you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, or you're walking through different Bible reading plans, uh, my encouragement, again, is just start somewhere uh, and then have a conversation with us. If you want to get a hold of me at any point in time and ask questions or, you know, find out maybe there's something you don't understand, I might not understand it either, but I would be happy to do the research along with with you. Just send an email to online at thecompass.net and let me know. Let's have a conversation about what it is that you're studying, what kind of things you're seeing as you're studying. I'd love to be able to have those conversations on a pretty regular basis with any of you that are interested. So with all that said, thank you again for taking the time to be here. Coming up next week on Midweek at the Compass, we're going to be talking about another one of these four priorities called Reach Your Neighbor. Our campus pastor at our South Naperville campus, John Calvig, is absolutely amazing at that. And he breaks it down into some really simple and tangible things that each of us can be doing to be able to spread the hope of the gospel here, near, and far. So if you want to find out more about that, make sure you join us next time we're together here at Midweek at the Compass. 